At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. In a culture growing in hostility, it's clear how far we are from what the kingdom of God should look like. As followers of Christ, it can be difficult to stand firm in what we are taught and what we believe in. It's easy to let idols slip into our lives without us even realizing it, especially when the world we live in puts people on a pedestal. In our new series, Daniel, The Clash of Cultures, we'll be looking at the life of Daniel and how even then Daniel had to navigate a culture who opposed God. We'll discover how we can put our trust in God regardless of our circumstances and how God is sovereign over all. Join us this new year as we study the life of Daniel and learn how to apply the truths inside this book to our own lives. Thank you, team. Thanks for leading us in true triumphant worship today, celebrating what Jesus has done. I just wanted to, before we dive into Daniel chapter 5, as we continue our series, uh, we have one week left as we've chosen to tackle Daniel 1 through 6, looking at six strategic events that occurred that Daniel recorded during the exile there uh, in Babylon. Before we dive in, though, I just want to just say thank you as a church for being so eager to hear from God. I mean, you have, over these last seven years, you've, you've always come with that eager expectation to hear what God has to say. I always felt that there was a, a great spirit of hearing, not just hearing for entertainment or, uh, or, because, or out of tradition, but you've always come with a spirit that says, I want to hear from God because I want to know what he has for me this week, what he wants me to do, how he wants to change me. Um, and you've, you've expressed that in all kinds of circumstances. Um, sometimes technology works great and the the furnace and or air conditions on and it's comfortable and chairs are comfortable and all is good. There's been times we've met in context where there's this strange odor that you wonder what they ate in here the night before. There's been times where, remember when we first came into this building, there was nothing, just a great big room that echoed and sound was really hard to control. We had those folding chairs that were so uncomfortable, but you didn't complain. You still leaned in to hear what God has to say. There were times where we couldn't meet where we were designed to meet, so we crammed in a little office room, and, and, but we came with a spirit to say, God, what do you have for us today? There's times we met in a, just two doors down, right, at Dock 421, a room designed for probably 20 people, and at that point, we had 40, and that was fine, and we had kids' ministry in that little hallway there. That was better than doing it in the bar like we did at the VFW, so that was an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> and then God provided us this beautiful place where we're just so comfortable. Some of you sleep soundly during this time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you don't. I don't see it very often. <laughs> but no, I, I'm excited to know that even going into this future, um, that the 
clear and relevant and engaging expositional teaching of the Word of God will continue. Because this is, this is Woodside Bible Church. Our middle name is on purpose, that we believe the Bible should be at the center of what we do. It is how we hear from God as His Spirit bears witness with ours and teaching us the Scriptures. And as Pastor Chris begins his preaching ministry, I know he's committed to that very same thing. And so you will hear clear, relevant, engaging, expositional preaching of the Word of God every Sunday you gather. And so I'm so thankful that God has continued a trajectory of growth for everyone here. And I would just ask that you would continue that, that spirit of leaning in, that, that Chris, on, even on his first Sunday, that he would sense that you are eager to learn, eager to hear, eager to apply God's word to your hearts and to let the spirit of God change you. And that you'd be so eager you invite others to hear it too. And I know it's going to maybe feel a little different because the messenger's different. Right? His style will be a little bit different than mine, which is good. That's one of the gifts of the Father is that He's given us the variety of gifts so that we can grow in all these different facets of our life. And for some, it might take time to get over that. It feels different. But remember, just like it did seven years ago when we started, I remember conversations during the week where one or two of you would come to me and say... It was good on Sunday, but I'm just praying that God just, just gives you a passion. And I kind of went away from those conversations thinking, so apparently you didn't think I had passion on Sunday. Something's not really connecting with you yet. But I'll bet you forgot even about that. You've, because you've gotten used to. And, and our spirits have borne witness with one another. And we've become family and become so comfortable with hearing God's word for me. Well, just know, for some of you, that connection with Chris will take place right away. And for some of you, it'll, it'll take a while. Give it a while, would you? Give it time. Hear his heart. Jesus is in him. He's God's messenger that he's ordained to lead this ministry into this next season. So gather around him. He joins with an incredible story that God has written in this community that you've been a part of and just go into it headlong looking for what this next chapter is going to hold for this place because we all believe that God has not done all of this and now he stopped and now he's off somewhere else. We all believe that he has just laid a foundation and he's got a whole nother layer of trajectory, so many more people to reach, so much more of this community to transform that the work has just begun. So I look forward to seeing what God's going to do here. Next, to give you a glimpse into what's happening in the near future, so next Sunday, Joe Chalufo is preaching uh, as he concludes the Daniel series, as he looks at Daniel and the lion's den. I mean, how easy is that, Joe Chalufo? Who can't <laughs> preach Daniel and the lion's den? So, so that'll be great. Um, and then Pastor Chris will begin... Uh, his teaching ministry, starting a new series on Psalm 51. If you haven't read that psalm recently, I encourage you to do that. 
Uh, it's a psalm etched in a moment in history with King David at a time when he was not at his best. Uh, and yet God, through the grace and mercy of God, allowed him to see his own sin and repent and confess and find renewal in that resurrected life that you've sung about just a moment ago. David experienced that. So Chris will lead us in that, in that series of Psalm 51. And then I'll be around, I'll be here through March 3rd. March 3rd will be Chris's official installation service, uh, so that'll be a big day. Um, and so, so I'll be here over the next few weeks, um, and it's a joy to share with you some pretty cool things of Daniel chapter 5. So let's dive in. Two weeks ago, Yahoo, Yahoo Sports ran an article that started with this paragraph. After nearly a quarter of a century, the greatest coach in pro football history is looking for a new home. Per multiple reports, Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots have agreed to part ways. The writing was on the wall after a 4-13 season. Belichick ends his New England tenure with 333 wins, placing him 14 behind Don Shula for the most of any coach in NFL history. There's a little phrase in that paragraph that's pretty familiar to us. You might use it. It's used in a lot of different industries or contexts. That phrase, the writing on the wall. It was used when you look back to, look back at the um, auto industry crisis of 2008. People said the writing was on the wall. Same with the housing crash housing market, when you, you apply it to educational trends, you apply it to generational trends, people have used it for the financial bear markets or, or bull markets that come, the writing's on the wall, you could see it coming. Well, today, we get to see where that idiom came from, and no, it didn't come from the idea of reading the writings on the bathroom stall. It doesn't come from inner city graffiti. It comes from Daniel chapter 5. The handwriting is on the wall. In Daniel 5, we meet a new king. His name is Belshazzar. He replaced King Nebuchadnezzar in a unique way. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar reigned for about 50 years. And at this point of chapter 5, it's probably about 20 to 25 years after chapter 4. Remember last week, we saw this historical account when King Nebuchadnezzar, the emperor of the Babylonian empire, he had this mental breakdown and he began to act like an animal for seven periods of time, probably seven years. Then he came to himself when he began to acknowledge the sovereignty and the power of the one true God. Well, 20 years passed, and he died. Historians tell us that there was about a six-year time in the Babylonian Empire where people were, were battling for the throne. A couple of his sons, a couple of his generals battled it out, and finally, after six years, his son, whose name is not Belshazzar, but his name is Nabonidus, took the throne. But Nabonidus 
was enthralled with how wide the empire had became, and he spent most of his time in the region of Arabia. And he appointed his son, Belshazzar, to be a co-regent over the city and the region of this area of Babylon. So it says King Belshazzar, but just know that he was a co-regent under his father. Belshazzar, it's clear from the very beginning as we read this, that he did not regard God's reign over him, over his life, over his empire. Even though his grandfather had learned a pretty remarkable lesson, even though Daniel had been in rule all during this time and was representing God's revelation over these previous 60 years, Belshazzar rejected the notion that God is the one who sets up kings and he removes them. Belshazzar had come to the point where he thought he was in charge because of what he was all about. So, Chapter 5 gives us a lesson in his life that teaches us that, here's our big idea this morning, that God is sovereign over ungodly kings and kingdoms. So if you look around and you watch the news, or if you look in our own country or those around us, just know that this statement can be applied to every one of them. That God is sovereign over, and it says, ungodly kings and kingdoms, You could even strike the word ungodly, and it would be true. That God is sovereign over kings and kingdoms, all of them. Here's how Belshazzar learned it. He learned that though that may be true, we are left with a choice. We can either receive this truth and live under it, or we can deny it and reject it. But those that reject it will face a consequence. And that's what we see in Belshazzar's life. So first of all, the first result of rejecting God's reign is this. When we reject his reign, we begin to blaspheme the holy God. It sounds very strong. We don't use that word blaspheme very often. In fact, it might be good for even to think about, okay, well, what do we mean by that? What does blaspheme even mean? The Holman Bible Dictionary describes it as literally meaning, it's a transliteration of a Greek word that literally means to speak harm. In this context, in biblical context, blasphemy is an attitude of disrespect that finds expression in an act of defiance against the character of God. So it's an attitude of defiance against God that shows up by what you do. That's blasphemy. Let's look at Daniel 5. Let's just read the first 12 verses. Here we go. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords, and he drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and concubines drank from them. 
They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way. His knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. And the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around his neck, and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. And all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. The king, Belshazzar, was greatly alarmed. His color changed. His lords were perplexed. But the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall, and the queen declared, O kingly, forever, let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, he... Excuse me. He made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers because of an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he'll show the interpretation. Let's take a minute and think what we just saw. Here's Belshazzar with this huge feast. As we indulge, we tend to think more of ourselves than we ought to think. So being an indulging, in that indulging state, he begins to think, how can I clarify how great I am? Here's what I'll do. Let's call for all those instruments of the God of Yahweh that were used to worship him, and let's use them now to indulge. So instead of his using the instruments to worship God, the text says he used them to, to worship the idols of gold and silver and earthly things. But if you look closely, you can see that they also used them to indulge in the idol of self. Because they used them previous to, to honor God, now they're using them to indulge themselves. This is what happens when you... Reject the God of the universe. Do you know who becomes God in your mind? You do. There are no atheists in this world. There are none. Everyone has a God. If you reject the one true God, you become God. You decide what's good and right and perfect. You decide who can make decisions, you decide who's king, and that is you. And that's what Belteshazzar, or Belshazzar did. This arrogance and self-reliance denies God's rightful place as king, and we make ourselves king. That's what happened way back in the beginning. This is just an example of the story of our origin, where God created the world perfect, all in a way that pointed people to him, him as the provider. But humanity rejected that and said, no, I want something outside of you. I want to decide 
what's good and right. I want to eat from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I want to decide. That rebellion created this chasm between humanity and the perfect God. If we would die in that position, we would spend eternity without the goodness of God. So God was not content with that. So he immediately initiated a plan to rescue humanity back to himself that ultimately was fulfilled in Jesus, which we celebrated today. How Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice, the perfect once and for all sacrifice, the innocent one dying for the guilty so that we can experience his innocence. Well, despite this redemption, we can tend to do the exact same thing Belshazzar did. We can reach for the throne and put ourselves there again. And in effect, we are using the instruments designed for worship as elements to worship ourselves. Right? That's what Paul was getting at when he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, don't you know that you are the temple of God? That you're not your own? You've been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body, which are his. He's saying, don't use those instruments that were designed for the temple worship for worshiping yourself because they're designed to worship God. Your body, your mind, your intellect, your gifts, your experiences were all designed to give glory to God. So don't use them for yourself. It's, it's blasphemy. It's an act of defiance that says through your actions that I am rejecting the character of God in my life. I mean, blasphemy sounds harsh and strong, but it truly is a dishonor to God's rightful place when we reject his authority in our life. So, when that's true, when our hearts are defiant against God, we secondly, we begin to repeat past sins. Sins maybe that we've committed before, but... The reality is, sins that so many people have committed before all through history. So in this situation, this human hand, Belshazzar sees, it says it's opposite the lampstand. So it, it, it implies it's well lit. This isn't a shadow. That's what the text is saying. This is a well lit thing that he sees literally a hand etching words into the plaster. Let's keep reading. Let's skip to verse 18. Verse 18 says, this is Daniel speaking. He says, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. Because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. Whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from the kingly throne. His glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind. His mind was made like a beast. His dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed with grass like an ox. 
His body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this, but you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. The vessels of his house have been brought in before you. You and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and of bronze and of iron and wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Though you have seen this agonizing season of your grandfather, you didn't learn from that. Though you've witnessed generation after generation of arrogance, being humbled, still you didn't choose humility. So Belshazzar walks headlong right back into that same arrogant posture. And in our lives, I think we all can see tendencies that maybe we experience because of a distorted example in front of us. We influence our life. But here's the the incredible thing, that God has also given to every one of us examples, both in his word and in human flesh, examples of people that have chosen a life of worshiping God. He's given us examples where we've seen the opportunity to choose God's way and we've seen people choose their own way. We've seen people choose, have the opportunity to choose their own way and they've chose God's way. And the question that Daniel brings to Belshazzar is, why did you choose the way of arrogance? Don't you know how often God will resist the proud And give grace to the humble. And if we don't turn, we'll experience what Belshazzar experienced as he ultimately experienced God's judgment. Here's where we see the handwriting on the wall. Verse 24. Then from his presence, the hand was sent, Daniel says. This writing was inscribed. This is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, Parsin. These were Hebrew type words, words that looked a bit like words, but they weren't exactly the words that the interpreters would have understood. It required an interpretation. And Daniel says, this is the interpretation of the matter. Mena means God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel means you have been weighed in the balances and have been found wanting. Paris, which is the plural for the word parsin. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And Belshazzar gave the command, Daniel with clothes with purple and chain of gold was put around his neck. A proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And that night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So here's here's what happened. Belshazzar, while busy blaspheming God, 
unaware that God was presently at work. That that night when this banquet was going on, God was raising up another kingdom. A consolidation of kingdoms with the Medes and the Persians who had rallied an uprising against the, God, the, the king in Arabia. They killed him and quietly traveled across the region to, towards the city of Babylon. They dammed up the Euphrates River that previously had flowed under the walls of the city to water that huge city of Babylon and water the hanging gardens and such. They dammed up the water that gave them access through these impenetrable walls and quietly snuck in. And that night before the banquet was over, came into the palace and killed the king and took his reign. Complete fulfillment of those words, mene mene tekel parsin. It's numbered, bud. God's counted all your deeds. He knows it all. It's been weighed. Daniel says it's like a scale. We use scales today to see if what we ate yesterday did any damage. Scales back then were not such. Scales back then were to see if you had enough to pay your debt. And Daniel said from the, the message of God, says, I've weighed your debts and you can't pay them. Parsin means it's been divided. Your kingdom will, be, will fall and in will come this divided kingdom that will come in and reign over you. Throughout history, Historians will credit the fall of Babylon to the Medo-Persian army. Daniel reminds us that it is actually God who gets credit for the end of the Babylonian Empire and the establishment of the Medo-Persian Empire. God rules over kings and kingdoms. What Belshazzar, when he saw the silence of God after all these years where he was honoring himself, being God himself, blaspheming God with no repercussions, he interpreted God's silence as his indifference. And Daniel says, no, that wasn't indifference. That was patience. And God's patience will run out and judgment will come. And maybe this obscure little incident in world history is the handwriting on the wall for some of you, or me. The writing on the wall says pride will be brought down. That God is patient, and even as you examine your life and think, actually things are working out pretty good with me as king, don't interpret his silence as indifference, but instead as patience. He's patient toward us. He's patient toward us. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. As Jeremiah wrote, and Isaiah both wrote these, this statement, that God does not delight in the wicked, but in their repentance. That God desires us to see these examples in history, to see if my life begins to be characterized as me in charge, that judgment 
is around the corner because God loves me too much to leave me in that place. Don't make the mistake of seeing his silence as indifference. He created you to find joy in him. He sent his son to rescue you from the thief that tries to destroy you. That God has given you time to turn to him. Once and for all, submitting to his reign. And our call today is to encourage you to turn to Jesus. Because if God's given you that word, if he's writing the message on the wall, he's giving you opportunity to humble yourself before him. Would you do that? As we've said, two weeks from now, three weeks from now, what is February 25th? Three weeks from now, we'll have opportunity for you to profess your faith in Jesus before the rest of the church, to declare that, yes, my life is his. I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm living for the glory of God. I've given my life to him. I've received his salvation. I want the world to know. If you've never followed the Lord in baptism, this would be a beautiful time so that you don't face the judgment of God. Instead, you face the grace and restoration and resurrection of God. That's what he longs to give. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for giving us opportunity to turn to you. Lord, the handwriting on the wall is a strange story. Maybe some would say, did that really happen? Is this really true? But Lord, how many times have you shown yourself faithful to come alongside of those that out of arrogance and, and pride have exalted themselves and yet were quickly brought low? Lord, we want to be those that humble, experience humility now so that you can exalt us. Lord, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your, the death of Jesus that pays for a grievous of sin. Even blasphemy, Lord, you tell us your grace is sufficient to cover that sin. So Lord, convict our hearts, convict us through an example of another one so that we can experience your grace. Be with us now as we acknowledge our need of you, Lord. And maybe that's where humility starts, when we truly acknowledge, Lord, that we desperately need you. So this, as we sing this song, this is the message of our heart, that we confess, confess our need of you, Lord. So work in our hearts as we sing this, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing this message to God. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.